Premier Christian Newscast. Financial institutions are guilty of discriminating against Christians. That's the claim, at least, of Anglican vicar Richard Fothergill and charity exec Mike Davidson, both of whom are prominent Christians who have recently had their bank accounts closed. They argue banks are trying to force those with unpopular views out of public life. But the banks insist that they're actually free to work with whoever they choose and that personal views don't come into it. Are there really forces trying to unbank conservative believers whose convictions are at odds with society? And should we be worried about an extension of our roiling culture wars around sexuality into the realm of boycotts and economic warfare? I'm Tim Wyatt, and this is the Premier Christian Newscast. This week, I'm joined by Emma Fowle and Sam Hales from Premier Christianity magazine to discuss the recent unbanking of prominent Christians and what this might mean for the wider church in Britain. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Sam and Emma. Um, well, I thought we'd start by just quickly kind of summarising for those who haven't seen these two stories uh, of what happened. So so the first one is uh, an Anglican vicar called Richard Fothergill. Um, he he founded and leads a, a ministry called Filling Station, which is kind of his regional network of gatherings. And his story is that he basically had a savings account with, with Yorkshire Building Society for 17 years. But last month, a couple of months ago now, it was kind of abruptly closed down. Um, as a result of him basically sending an email or replying to an email the bank sent him asking for customer feedback. And he replied uh, to this email, um, seeing that there was a pride flag in the email and, and basically wrote back questioning why the bank was promoting a pro-LGBT worldview and kind of laid out his Christian-derived objections to some aspects of transgender ideology. Um, and as a result, within a, within a week or two, uh, the bank sent him a letter saying that their relationship with him had irrevocably broken down and that they would close his account within a few weeks. And the kind of, by coincidence of timing, or perhaps not coincidence, that, that story happened roughly around the same time that um, uh, a very similar story about banks um, emerged, which was that uh, a charity from Northern Ireland called the Core Issues Trust, which um, kind of provides uh, support and counselling for people who have unwanted same-sex attractions. Um, it emerged that around the same time as Richard Fothergill's case, that they had um, settled uh, a court case with Barclays, which they had launched because three years ago, Barclays cancelled their bank accounts. Um, uh, and that was as a result of a campaign by LGBT activists online who had kind of spotted that the, tr the charity was banking with Barclays and accused the charity of engaging in conversion therapy. And so launched a campaign to kind of pressure the bank to close down the account. Um, should state that Barclays uh, denies that it has ever discriminated on religious grounds, um, uh, but still settled the case, um, but has not reinstated the bank accounts. Um, so that's kind of the facts of the two, the two cases. Um, Emma, let's go to you first. When you first read about these stories, what was your response? Were you kind of surprised or shocked? Yeah, I was really, really shocked. And I think I was most shocked, actually, that because I 
didn't realise that there was this sort of strange provision um, in banking contracts for a bank to be able to withdraw its um, services from an individual or an organisation basically for no given reason. And I think that's what I found so shocking, particularly about the case of Barclays and CIT, is that um, throughout the case, when, when they took them to Barclays to court, they just refused to even name the reason why they'd closed their accounts. They just kept saying, we don't need to give them a reason. Um, it's just perfectly within our gift to be able to write to a client and say we no longer wish to 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 allow you to bank with us, and 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 kind of that's that. And I didn't even realise that that was allowed within UK law. So I I found this whole thing sort of deeply shocking. Yes. What about you, Sam? What was your take when you first came across these stories? Well, it does seem like a bit of an evolution in the ongoing culture war or the ongoing stories around Christians being discriminated against, which is still a debated point. Some Christians say we're not, and other Christians say there are these stories where Christians lose their jobs. Um, but in this case, it's new, isn't it? The idea that you can be unbanked. I'd not come across this particular element of the debate around discrimination and of course it is a concerning one because it doesn't take doesn't take a conspiracy theorist to figure out where this might end up uh, which is anyone with views deemed unpopular by by uh, whoever runs the banks can cannot have access to their own money um you can understand why people are particularly concerned yeah i think particularly in the the richard fothergill case his argument is that it's not really just about Christianity, it's about freedom of speech, because all he did was email back some of his personal views, which, you know, you may like or dislike, but it doesn't really intersect with the bank providing him, you know, a savings account in any way. And the bank basically said, now we've discovered that one of our customers has views that we disagree with. We don't want to do business with you at all. Do you agree that this is really fundamentally bigger than just something that Christians should be upset about? This is a freedom of speech issue. I think the most interesting thing for me on that point is is Nigel Farage, of all people, who in the same week that Richard Fothergill was unbanked, or the news broke about that, in the same week that the Nigel Farage story broke, which is very, very similar. Farage arguing that he'd been chucked out of his Coots account, be, effect, well, for lots of reasons. I mean, they accused him of being racist, which obviously Nigel Farage disputes in very strong terms. Um, the word Brexit appeared in this dossier that was that later emerged, showing exactly the reasons why they didn't, don't, didn't want to work with Nigel Farage. Um, and so it doesn't really matter whether you're politically on the right or pro-Brexit or Christian or Muslim or atheist. The point is, shouldn't all of us have access to bank accounts, uh, no matter what your views? And, and shouldn't we be aiming for a society where um, where people aren't lock, locked out of something as fundamental as having a bank account just because of their political views or, or indeed religious views? Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's um, the point that a lot of people have picked up in, in the secular press as well, that... that um, there have been more and more cases coming out of the woodwork. These have been sort of some of the most high profile and certainly for a, for a Christian point of view, we're, we're really interested in Christians that have been debanked because of their religious views. But there are lots of people saying this has been going on for ages and there's loads of people that have been debanked, Muslims, Sikhs, Hindus, lots and lots of people with lots of different religious viewpoints. And, and lots of people have long argued actually that to exist within a society that shows tolerance to one faith is a, is a society that should show tolerance to all. So it does sort of run along those lines. If we start to discriminate against Christians, we start to discriminate against the freedom to express what we think and believe, regardless of how anyone else feels about that. And then alongside that is this sort of ongoing debate about 
quite how ideological our corporations, businesses, banks, people that sell us food, whatever it is, should be. Do we need to have profit-making companies that supply goods and services um, tell us what we should think and believe? Like, where does that end up going when every high street shop has pride flags or any other kind of sort of message that could be deemed to be an ideology um, being promoted within it what does that mean for us as a society and should we just get on board with that or is the the natural outworking a situation like this I mean Father Gill said that he he's, he was worried that as he as he saw it the bank was pushing a cultural agenda and that they were kind of like stepping outside the lane you know he's his view is that Yorkshire Building Society should exist to provide savings accounts and bank accounts of people and that's it and and he saw their kind of promotion and, and kind of uh, engagement with the, with Pride Month as a as kind of, I mean, his language, yeah, was pushing a cultural agenda. Do you think that's fair, Sam? Do you think that's actually true that that's what these banks are doing, or are they just kind of you know going along with with a kind of what is seen in society as a pretty unobjectionable piece of kind of charity work? Well, I think it, both are true to a certain extent. From the from the bank's point of view, they would say things like. We want a diverse workforce. We want LGBT people to be welcome as customers or employees. And, and so supporting pride is a good way of signaling that. And I think that's that's perfectly reasonable. But I think there's also a reasonable criticism, which is Fothergill's, which is, well, why is a bank getting involved in, in what is still a, a political um uh, situation it does still have a religious dimension to it. I think what's happened though is our culture as a whole has sort of said, well, whatever debate there was around gay marriage is now history. It's it's done and dusted. It's, it's settled. Why could you ever have a problem with people being who they want to be? And that, I think, just brings us to the lack of nuance in this debate. It's, it's now seen as, well, either you love LGBT people and you're a perfectly nice, human, decent, tolerant human being and you welcome all people to get married and what's wrong with you, or you're a bigot. And, and, and that's really where the cultural debate has landed. And so that doesn't leave room for, for example, a Muslim or a Christian who says, I'm called to love everyone and I love my LGBT friends and I also have theological convictions around marriage, which means that that personally I can, you know, I would only ever support or endorse two people of opposite sex getting married. For example, there's, there's no room for that kind of nuance. It has to be all or nothing now in much of our culture. So it has to be either you wave a pride, pride flag and you say all of this is great. Um, and if you don't, and if you're not willing to go along with that in any way, like Richard Fothergill, well, then you must be sort of outcast from society and, and i think richard is absolutely right to say look it's not as simple as that and there are lots of christians with genuine theolog theological convictions none of which stop them from loving lgbt people they just have a particular view on the christian doctrine of marriage and they should be allowed to hold that and also hold a bank account yeah it's interesting because um yorkshire building society actually said didn't they in, in their statement when they were pressed that um they would never close an account due to a customer's beliefs or feedback but they would if they were rude abusive violent or discriminate in any way based on the specific facts comments and behavior in each case so it, you know either fothergill was rude abusive or violent in the feedback he gave or they've just decided that because he holds traditional Orthodox Christian views that they are not going to allow him to bank with them because of those reasons. And that's quite worrying, I think. And that picks up in what Sam was saying, which is that I think you're right, that pride is kind of, 
is so much more complicated than I think our society wants to accept because on one level there's the kind of completely unobjectionable work of trying to you know minimize homophobia and you know encourage a uh, greater kind of openness and tolerance in society and say you know what you know we don't want to go back to the to the days when when people who were gay had to like suppress and hide their sexuality and there were you know police would out to get them and stuff like that and that's stuff that I think you know the vast majority of Christians, whatever their views would be entirely on board on, but all bundled together with the single celebration of pride is, as you say, it is fundamentally still a, there is an element of a political pressure campaign there, you know, which, um, and that's particularly what Fothergill says he was objecting to is around, you know, current debates that were very live debates in society around, you know, what should regulation of gender transition look like and, and how do we balance competing rights in single sex spaces and all this thing. And I think, you know, this came up in a previous podcast we did recently about um, sc- schooling and, and and you know, lots of schools go very big on Pride Month and have lots of stuff there. And, and on one level, you're like, well, that's that's excellent if it's about creating a kind of safe environment for the school, for the LGBT pupils in the school. But if it but it completely blurs the line, because I think some people presume, don't they, that by, yes, you say, Sam, waving a Pride flag then you are not only saying I want gay pupils to feel safe at school, but I also am in favour of, you know, whatever Stonewall's latest demand is regarding trans rights. And that's a slightly more contested issue that's all been bundled up into this this very simple five-letter word pride, but actually there's a lot of stuff going on there. At the end of the day, a bank, like any other company, is out to make a profit. And, you know, I don't think it's too cynical to say that, well, they're probably supporting pride because they think it makes them look good it brings in more business there there has to be a commercial element to this i think i don't completely buy the argument that our companies and institutions always just do things out of the goodness of their own heart i think often there is a financial component to it and and i think what's been fascinating to watch along those lines is what's happened in the u.s with bud light budweiser the beer and uh, bud light um did a sponsorship deal with a transgender influencer and that resulted in this huge boycott, which, uh, according to to The Atlantic, has resulted in Bud Light no longer being America's most popular beer. And so there, there what you see is actually some pressure from those who disagree with the, in this case, the, the trans, um, the the. the, the the opinion that Bud Light, of all people, appear to hold on the on the issue of, of trans, there being a boycott and a backlash against that. And of course, what you then see, I think, is companies then responding ultimately to their bottom line. So in this case, if it can be demonstrated to whatever financial institution that by banning people like Richard Fothergill, it loses the money rather than makes the money, I think you'll see the behavior change quite quickly. And it has been interesting to watch some of these large companies, corporations, institutions around the world adopt a particular uh, campaign when it suits them and when it suits their bottom line. And when it doesn't suit their bottom line, they'll probably backtrack and go in a different direction. I think in this particular case, it'll be very interesting to, to see what happens because, of course, we're not just limited to these two Christians we mentioned. We've got someone like Nigel Farage. And so this story is now very widespread. A lot of people are talking about it. To what extent will that make banks change their policy? Because they've realized that even banning someone like Nigel Farage, who is unpopular with a lot of people, you know, they forget Nigel Farage is also very popular with another group of people. And so actually, I think banks are starting to realize you've got to be a bit careful here because there might be certain values that are held by our London metropolitan liberal elite bubble who work for our bank who think one way, but actually our customers might think a little bit differently on some other issues. And so it may not do our bottom line any good to ban people like Farage or even Fothergill. And I think that's where you'll see the change of behavior is where it starts to affect the bottom line. Banks will start to think twice. 
But I think that's the real danger, isn't it? When when basically we let profits police our organisations and the people that sell us things, um, we're in quite a dangerous position, aren't we? Because basically we're, we are at the mercy of whatever the latest cultural trend is or whatever people can get behind and, and influence in the bottom line when it really shouldn't, especially with something like banking, which, you know, lots of people would argue is a fundamental right you need a bank in order to <laughs> facilitate much of a life in modern in the modern world so you know allowing us to end up in a position where we're just relying on public pressure and profit and bottom line to to drive an organization to do what's right i think is incredibly dangerous premier christian newscast Christian Newscast. And, and it's interesting that that Bud Light example you gave us there, Sam, is really um, an example of probably mostly conservative Christians kind of adopting the weapons of the other side, right? Because what happened in the core issues trust case here. LGBT activists saw that there was a charity that they really didn't like what they were doing, and they didn't attack the charity. They didn't go out in the public square and make the case why Core Issues Trust shouldn't do that and why they should stop supporting, you know, people with quote unquote unwanted same-sex attraction. They said a much more effective way to win this argument is not to fight the argument on ideological grounds, but just to go and organize an economic boycott effectively via Barclays. And in the same way, I actually have to say, personally, I'm a bit disappointed or a bit depressed that 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 same weapon of the economic boycott is being utilized in America in this culture war. You know, if you disagree with the trans influencer that Bud Light is cooperating with, like, make the case, you know, go out. We have a free society. Go out, speak your truth, make the case. But to go to say I'm no longer going to I'm going to try and cripple Bud Light sales to punish them for this just seems like where does this kind of tit for tat economic warfare end I'd much rather we were hashing out our disagreements as a society using words and arguments rather than seeing who can strip cut away someone's someone's kind of economic undergirding whether that's you know a boycott or debanking them or whatever it just seems like that's a, a dangerous road to go down as a society when we've got such bitter divisions on these issues like sexuality. It is interesting, though, isn't it? Because on the other hand, we do demand of, of of our companies quite a lot. You know, we want them to do the right thing when it comes to ethically sourcing goods. And we, you know, regularly encourage people to only shop in places that, for example, you know, use organic food or, you know, make sure their, their workers in India are looked after. So on, on some respects, we're very happy to use our pound to influence for change. And I, I, I think that's a really good thing. I'm not I'm never going to say that's that's a bad thing but you know there is a fundamental difference in my mind from choosing what brand of beer you buy or you know where you buy your fashion to being able to access without discrimination something that is as vital as banking and you know I don't really care whether it's a trans influencer I do or don't agree with or whether it's someone with quite extreme views um until it crosses a certain line, and I'm sure there are legal definitions, you know, we can't finance terrorism and, and those kinds of things. That's why we have money laundering laws and all the rest of it. But outside of that, I don't think banking should be restricted um, to people with whom we agree. The bank's argument has always been that they have an absolute right to decide who they do and don't do business with, like any other company would. You know, you can't go into H&M and demand that they sell you a T-shirt. It's it's their prerogative. 
should banks not also have that same liberty as a, a private company to to bank with whoever they choose for whatever reason? I wonder if that, I could be wrong, but I wonder if that's an example of the law being just slightly out of date. Because I, I think, you know, maybe way back when, I mean, I think you could argue way back when banks were a little bit less important. I think nowadays, you know, basically everyone has a bank account and the few who don't, I think particularly of the, of the homeless community, all sorts of stories about the struggle to get a bank account. Cause it's like, well, you can't, you can't have this temporary accommodation until you have a bank account and you can't have a bank account. Until you and it, it seems like there's all this red tape that actually, if you don't have a bank account, you are, you are shut off from a lot of normal parts of society. And I just wonder if when that law or agreement was, was agreed, it was perhaps a little bit easier. Um, and, and again, you know, you don't have to be, a, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to, to worry about, where all this ends up if we end up with a cashless a cashless society now personally you know i'm a i'm a millennial uh, i pay for everything on my cards i hardly ever carry cash i've got no issue with having a cashless society actually but if you have a cashless society combined with the banks policing i'm going to for whatever reason i like just not give you an account with no explanation that does lock people out of society and so i i'm i'm in agreement with the with the government minister who says that needs, this needs another look uh, and we might need to, to tighten up the law around this um i'm certainly not comfortable with people being unbanked for for no reason no reason at all and again in the case of farage what you ha what happened there was you had the bbc and others running this line from the bank which was um i think arguing he was a politically exposed person and it's to do with money laundering and it's all completely above board and don't worry it's all good reason or or the line at one point was well he 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 fell below the threshold required to have a a bank account at coots he didn't have enough money in his account so it's all above board and then of course this dossier came out through the telegraph just a couple of weeks later that from what i've read proved no it wasn't anything to do with all those things it was his political views that had him unbanked and so you know i do think that's the kind of area that there's got to be legislation to tighten up and you, you can't have a bank refusing someone just because they voted brexit and i don't think it is exactly the same as other goods and services either you know we've had really high profile cases in the last few years i'm thinking of the gay cake row over in northern ireland or the bed and breakfast owners that were taken to court and and successfully sued for not allowing um, a gay couple to stay in their in their business and the 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 argument from within the law at that point is always that you cannot you cannot withhold this service from this person because of your views on their lifestyle or vice versa and yet somehow we seem to be in this strange case with the banks where they can and not only can they they don't have to tell you why and that seems to me incredibly weird that they can just shut your account and just say um sorry your, your account's closing we don't have to tell you why and we won't and even when it goes to court we won't that that just seems very odd to me the interesting distinction there i think is this distinction between you can't you can't refuse to serve a person because they are xyz protected characteristic you know female lgbt whatever but it doesn't it seems to me like you can refuse to serve a person if they hold particular views this seems to be the distinction of whether it's a core part of your identity and for me this raises questions around what what counts within protected characteristics does your belief about brexit or your belief about gay marriage is that protected to an extent that says this is a protected religious let's say characteristic that you can't refuse to to serve this person because of their views at which point actually counts towards personal identity and is therefore personal characteristic and, and what is not 
Yeah, and this this is you know potentially going down a quite a nitty kind of legal avenue, and none of us are trained lawyers, obviously, or experts in the Equality Act. But like Sam said, it's, you know, and the ultimate reason why the bakery, the Evangelical Bakery in Northern Ireland, won their case when they eventually appealed all the way to Supreme Court is that they were able to show the judges that it wasn't who the customer was, a gay activist, that led them to to reject him. Because if they had said we won't serve you because you're gay then that would have been a clear breach of the Equality Act. But they said, we won't serve you because we don't like the, the message on the cake that you've ordered. We didn't actually know who you were when you ordered the cake. It was the cake and the message that we disagreed with. And the court said, you can't compel a business to promote a message they disagree with, but you can compel a business, as the B&B says, to, to serve customers if they, you know, on the basis of protected characteristics. And so then it all comes down to, as you say, Sam, is your opposition to, you know, some of the more extreme elements of transgender ideology, is that a protected belief under, you know, the Equality Act or, or is it not? And they, I mean, this has been literally litigated as we speak, you know, there was the, the famous Maya Forstater case, who was a, a kind of gender critical feminist, and she basically had to, again, went all the way to the High Court to, to prove eventually to show that, yes, the judges decided that her gender critical feminist beliefs were a protected characteristic, um, where, where others aren't so maybe this is going to have to be kind of litigated case by case as the kind of ferocious debate around some of these sexuality issues is yes. it evolves which is a slightly alarming yeah, have, alarming prospect you, you have this will be judges wading in on what actually counts as legitimate christian opinion and what doesn't you know is it is it part of your christian identity to say for example um i'm gonna send a tweet that's highly critical of of uh of the transgender agenda as i see it you know you'll then have a judge having to wade in on it is that a protected christian belief or is it not is it just a political belief masquerading as a christian one you can imagine we're going to tie ourselves up in all sorts of knots if we go down that that direction as a society but as you say tim we kind of already are hmm. well some people might read particularly richard fothergill's story and say well hang on we're all getting our niggers in a twist here but isn't this really just because richard fothergill very unwisely blurted out an email to yorkshire building society trumpeting trumpeting his what he would know would be deeply kind of socially unpopular views and if he had just been a bit more smart and just lived his life and kept his head down he would still have a bank account with them today you know is this really about actually christians need to wake up to the fact that we you know we live in a censorious world but actually if you are wise as serpents jesus would say you can navigate it well what with while holding on to your integrity i mean maybe but... coming up in we have a feature coming up in Premier Christianity magazine about this exact question, Tim. Sorry, Emma, I interrupted you. It, it's a real head scratcher. It is a real head scratcher. And, you know, maybe they are. I think you could probably argue quite convincingly for both sides if you wanted to. My question would be, do you want to? Do you want to live in a censorious society where it's not OK to disagree with one another? Where you actually risk not being able to have a bank account because you might want to disagree with a with a a stance that your bank tank takes on something like pride it, it just seems ludicrous to me that that we think that this is the best way forward for anyone in society christian or not you know it just what like what what's next <laughs> what view next you're not going to be allowed to hold if nigel farage can be cancelled for being pro-brexit then like i i'd I don't understand. You know, we we've just exited Brexit. Half of the country voted for that. You know, and yet still, for some people, that I mean, you know, what what you think about him personally or not, I just I just think it's such a dangerous road for us to to want to censor one another in such extreme ways. 
think the interesting thing about Farage as well was the number of people who were his political opposites who were backing him up and saying, you know, I, I disagree with everything Nigel Farage stands for, but he should be allowed to have an account. If I'm honest, I didn't see much of that around, certainly around Mike Davidson or around Richard Fothergill. I didn't see any LGBT people saying, I disagree with these people's views, but they should have a right to hold a bank account. And maybe that just goes to show you that the LGBT conversation is is actually far more divisive than, than the Brexit one. I can speak partially, though, to Richard Fothergill's character, because I have met the man. Um, and I did interview him uh, some years ago, and uh, admittedly it was brief, but I I can I can vouch for the fact that he is not somebody, in my opinion, who is looking for trouble. He's not somebody who's looking to... St- to start a fight, uh, certainly when I met him, he struck me as a very, and I mean this as a, as a compliment, but a, a very normal Christian leader, um, and and someone who was very very genuine, lovely, and not wanting to fight a culture war. And so I can only assume that I think this whole situation probably took him by surprise. Uh, he genuinely sent in his feedback, and then was was genuinely shocked at the bank's result. And I think he did have an interesting choice there, as as other Christians will face similar choices down through the years when if and when similar things happen to you, how, how will you respond? I think it's an interesting question for all of us to think through. What's the what's the most Christ-like response if a bank comes back and says, we're unbanking you? Because you can make the argument of, okay, well, there's a bank down the road, I'll go there instead. But you can also make the argument of, well, no, I need to go public on this. I need to talk to the media, um, need to build a case around this for, for the protection, not just of my liberties, but the protection of other Christians and indeed other people of other religions and other viewpoints in the future. Um, and, and I think that's fair enough. I think what is more questionable is those who get the email back and think, brilliant, this is exactly what I was hoping would happen. And now I'm ready with my media campaign. I've more questions about that. But uh, but I think if if the heart is genuinely to protect Christian freedoms, you can make an argument for what Richard did in, in going a bit more public with it. But as I say, you, you can make the argument as well for just saying, okay, this is the world we, we live in. We have to be a bit more careful around these issues and I'll just bank with someone else. I think Richard Fothergill did say that he had received personal letters from people who were gay who were in support, didn't he, as well? which is quite interesting. Maybe, you know, not so much public, I guess, neither of them are such big high profile figures as Farage. But I think, um, yeah, I I, I wouldn't be surprised that not everybody um, is on the bank sides in these cases. And Father Gill said that he, you know, as you say, Sam, he he decided, he said he felt, felt, felt called. God told him he needed to go public and not just kind of quietly move on to the next bank down the street, but to kind of draw attention to this issue. But he also said he was he was hopeful that maybe a tipping point had been reached and, you know, drawing on the fact that he had been contacted by lots and lots of people who <clears throat> who weren't even gentle Christians, some of whom were gay themselves, but said, you know, I recognize the, the freedom of speech risks in the in your case. Do you guys feel finally, do you feel hopeful that maybe, you know, all the attention around this government regulators looking into it, we might be able to head this off, this whole particular issue of debanking for political views before it becomes a really significant problem? I really hope so. And I'm glad that we've had some noises from within Westminster saying that they will be taking a look at this and they will be trying to get the banks together. And, and, and maybe there is there are, like Sam said, outdated bits of law that need updating to make sure this thing doesn't happen again. I wonder if it's slightly similar to what we were talking about last time about sex education as well. It just, you know, it be- it becomes so noisy and we get a sort of a glut of these issues and cases that get to the courts that eventually finally you know, means that something needs to be defined better in law. And, and we've got a similar case now, haven't we? Although it's just been delayed that 
um, we are now expecting an updated guidance from the government on how schools manage issues around sex education, around sexuality, around gender, around um, trans issues in school. And a lot of that has come from a similar place, several high profile cases of people, you know, teachers being um, criticised for not using pronouns, arguments around same say, safe same sex spaces and you know how these issues are managed in the classroom what can and can't be said so maybe yes maybe there just needs to be some noise and then we actually sort of get someone sits down with the law pulls it all apart works out what needs to be tightened up what needs to be defined better where guidance hasn't been sometimes it's a case of guidance not being um actually applied properly some of the cases that we've seen come through the Christian Institute and, and Christian Concern in recent months, you know, it's almost like it seems that what, what's happening in the workplace actually seems at odds with what's actually written down in law. It's almost as if people don't understand how to properly apply it in a really fair way and they just get caught up with the noise that's going on around us in culture. So maybe maybe that is helpful. And um, I'm hoping as well that that will be borne in mind when we get on to um, the really contentious issue of um, legislating against conversion therapy as well, which will also happen at some point in the very near future and, and will also be its own minefield. Definitely. Right. Shall we draw our conversation to a close there then? I think we probably uh, covered that enough. Um, thanks very much, Emma and Sam, for your thoughts and your analysis of that really important issue. I'm sure we'll keep an eye on some of these stories, particularly that conversion therapy one as it as it rolls rumbles along. Um, thanks everyone for listening as always. Um, and we'll speak to you again next week with, our, with a new show. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget, you can also subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get each new episode sent automatically to your phone or tablet week by week. If you've got any questions, feedback, or want to suggest a topic we should explore, you can email me at tswyatt at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 